When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. The Oilers news today, Jason Garrison coming to town on a professional tryout contract. We had him on in the first half hour of the show. You ever miss anything on Inside Sports? You can sign up for the podcast on iTunes. You can go to the show page on 630ched.com. All the audio is archived there. We also talked to Eskimo Center Justin Sorensen as uh, they try to get it together to take on the Stampeders Monday Labor Day game on 6.30, Chad. 11.30 a.m. for the countdown to kickoff. The game will start at 1. Tomorrow, we're going to be joined by U of A Golden Bears football coach Chris Morris coming off a a long-awaited playoff appearance. Their regular season will start on Friday. Hey, this is pretty cool. I watched Grant play. He wasn't very good. I said, I'm not drafting this guy. I don't block shots. I'm at the rank. It was my sanctuary. That's a little bit from the new trailer for the upcoming film documentary called Making Coco, all about Edmonton Oilers' great goaltender, Hall of Famer Grant Feuer. And I'm pleased to welcome back to the show the man behind that production, filmmaker Adam Scorgi. Adam, thanks for coming back on Inside Sports. How have you been? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you guys always have me on well we i think i think hockey fans uh, appreciate that you keep finding uh a, a great way to what to tell stories uh obviously uh you're behind ice guardians which is uh, a great film about enforcers and fighting and, and uh, all that kind of culture in the nhl and uh, well let's just update ice how, how as ice guardians my god is it two and a half years already yeah it, it is it's coming almost exactly two and a half years to be we did the, the premiere of Ice Guardians in September. I think it was September 14th, 20, uh, two years ago uh, in Toronto during TIFF, like we're doing with Making Coco next week as well. Wow, okay. Well, uh, so and Ice Guardians has been so, uh, so well received, and it really is, and I, I always say this about it, um, you, you go behind the scenes, you talk to so many people who played that enforcer role, but it's also very a, a very balanced story. I mean, you're not just cheerleading for fighting. It's a much more intelligent movie than that. So so anyway, uh, that's great work. Now, well, making co- that was That was part of how uh, this came together, is actually like Grant had seen Ice Guardians and loved it. And, you know, it felt that finally, you know, like many of the players at Voice, finally somebody told that story correctly. Um, so, you know, he had, he had released a book and, 
uh, Don Metz, the director, was talking to Grant about doing a documentary, and, and I'm sure you've interviewed Grant over the years. He's so humble and nice, and he's like, well, if you guys think there's a good enough story there, like, I'd, I'd be interested to do it, and we're like, hell yeah, and then, you know, when we first got on the phone and I met Grant, he, like, stopped the conversation. He's like, Adam, I just want to let you know I loved Ice Guardians, and I'm so happy that your team is tackling my story. So it was like, as someone that grew up watching the Oilers and idolizing the dynasty teams and all that, it was, you know, kind of that pinch you moment being like, really? Like, one of the guys I grew up idolizing is stoked that I'm telling his story? It was a pretty surreal moment. Well, I, I want to ask you about a, li- a little bit about that, and, and specifically about sitting down with Grant. Uh, I... I, like you, watched Grant as I was a, a younger man. Uh, well, like a kid, actually. I wasn't a man <laughs> yet when he was playing. Uh, and, I mean, my, my dad used to have a Grant Fewer impression. You know, uh, ah, you know, it's okay. He, he was very talkative during the interviews. And even yeah. when I talk to him now, he's, uh, he's humble. He's not a man of a lot of words. He says what he has to say if he wants to say it, and, and, he, and he moves on. Uh, what was it like getting him to, to open up for this documentary? I think that's the thing that's going to really shock people in this is, as you can see, even from the trailer, he gets emotional, right? He cried on set a few times, got very passionate, and that was a lot of help to uh, our director, Don Metz, who's known, I think, here for, you know, going on 20, 30 years, they had a relationship. And I remember that day on set, it was really close set, like literally just the camera guy, uh, Don, uh, Grant, and the sound guy hidden and. You know, Don was in tears, Grant was in tears, and, you know, it takes a while to, to get Grant to open up, but he, I think he really wanted to, uh, for this film, to really kind of, you know, solidify the legacy piece of, you know, what he was able to accomplish, because he was on such an amazing team that, as Fleury says in the film, he's like, you often forget with arguably the greatest player to ever play, one of the greatest leaders in Messier, you forget how good Grant was between the pipes for that team. Well, and, and I watched the trailer and, and some of the highlights. I was like, man, I, you forget how ath- athletic he was. And, you know, a lot of people don't talk about goalies as being great athletes until kind of we got into the into the 90s and maybe the, the Waz and the Brodeurs of the world. And, and now some of the guys are, you know, you got some of the tallest players in the league now are goaltenders, plus they're great athletes. But Grant could move so quick and make so many great saves when you needed it um you know i'm not asking you to give away the whole movie right here but um you know tackling some of the 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 substance abuse issues grant had you know he went full bore into that yeah he went no he didn't hold anything back it 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 only makes you a bigger fan because when you find out how that all went down it would never fly today i mean at the time the nhl had no official rule about illegal substances Grant was never arrested. He never failed the team test. He never was caught impaired or drunk driving or crashed his car. He simply admitted it because the Edmonton Journal was going to release the information anyway. They already had enough witnesses with his former agent and his ex-wife, and they were going to publish it. So they said, do you want to get your word in there before we go ahead? And he said, well, yeah, I'd like to get my take in there. And because he had openly admitted it, the NHL was originally looking at a lifetime ban. Oh, jeez. Which seems preposterous. Ban well, it doesn't for, seem preposterous. Know, it is preposterous. It's, it's ridiculous. At the time, the NHLPA didn't have a lot of say, and they kind of wanted to use this you know, grant as a scapegoat so they could have better negotiating power next time around. And the fact was Grant had already gone to a rehab facility in Florida and had been out for a year in training and hadn't used in over a year. 
But because he admitted it, they wanted to punish him. We have a great clip of Craig McTavish saying, why would anybody come forward if they, if they did have an addiction problem if this is how you're going to treat them, right? Yeah. Like, if you're going to treat them when they already put themselves into a rehab facility, we're on the right track, we're rehabbing injuries, getting back, playing great hockey, and then you're going to look at a lifetime ban. Thankfully, you know, they saw better and they reduced it to one year, and then Grant, after good behavior, uh, was reduced to 40 games. And right. he actually came back and played that playoff season. Yeah, I remember that for sure. Adam Scorgi joining us on Inside Sports, producer of the new film Making Coco. Give me, uh, give me the timing here for for the release and uh, when and where people are going to be able to see it, Adam. So we are going to be doing a private screening in Toronto during TIFF, September 11th at the Historic Royal Cinema. Then we'll be doing the closing night gala presentation at the Calgary International Film Festival, September 29th. We're brewing something very special in Edmonton here for October with obviously Grant and many of the people you see in the film coming back. And then it will be making its uh, world broadcast from here on Rogers Sportsnet, I believe, in December. We just don't have the hard date yet. And then most likely looking at a day and date with Sportsnet to then be on transactional platforms like uh, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, all those. Adam, I, I always ask you this, almost always ask you this question when you're on, and uh, and, and I and I like asking it because you know I introduce you as a filmmaker, as a producer, and I think most people think like, wow, that's pretty cool. Uh, but there's a lot of work you do that that probably people wouldn't realize, or maybe wouldn't realize uh, what a struggle it can be. Uh, you made a movie. And, and a lot of people in Edmonton are obviously going to be interested in it, and you're probably still thinking, well, please go and shell out your eight bucks. Or <laughs> yeah, 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 I, I yeah, mean, yeah. That, now, now the challenge is uh, is getting this out there and, and getting those people to put it on whatever screen uh, they, they choose to consume it on. And that's, I mean, that, is that ongoing when you put out a movie, or tell us about that process? Yeah, that's an ongoing struggle, especially in a day and age where people are, like, you know, the, the, the younger generation has literally grown up, like, never paying for a movie or, or content or entertainment unless they go to a movie theater. So people are like, oh, it'll be on iTunes and stuff. People are like, no, but when is it going to be free? And you're like, man, do you know, like, how many, and it's not just me, you know, we have a team of, like, you know, five of the major people, but there's probably over 60 people, not including the interviews, that put a year and a half of their life into this of work just as hard as any other career. So you hope that people would, you know, pay the five bucks to rent it. And then, you know, like, especially I'm, I'm very against illegal downloading when you live in countries like Canada and the United States and you have Netflix, there really is no reason for anybody in our countries to be stealing anything because you can get content like Netflix for 14 or 15 bucks a month. It's just, there's no reason to have to steal content when that's so affordable. So, you know, I always appreciate it. And even if, you know, iTunes takes a bulk because iTunes takes a big chunk of the order on iTunes and your distributor takes money. And then at least if the numbers are really big, it helps us the next time we go around to get something into production. It's like, hey, you did something that was on the best-selling chart for two weeks. So the things go a long way. You don't think the $5 rental or something goes a long way. It really does help. Even if by the time we see that $0.10, cents, it, it really does help. So I do encourage people listening. If you can, hey, I get it. If you can't, if you can't afford to pay for it then don't watch it but if you can you know that 499 is greatly appreciated to us or come see it in the theater where grant's going to be there signing autographs with 
you know, fellow um, dynasty members and Hall of Fame members from the team. Yeah, well, y- 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 I love how you tell that, that there are dozens or hundreds of people behind this production who are all, you know, paying mortgage or rent from, from working on the film. And, I, and I've seen your car, Adam. It's not a Porsche, I'm pretty sure. But, <laughs> no, but... it's, a, it's, a, it's a silver Ford Flex that my wife teases me about all the time. She's like, you have the lamest dad mobile in Edmonton. I'm like, but it fits my film gear, fits the hockey bags for the kids. I was like, it's good on gas, like. Yeah, I get razzed about that 24-7, but I don't care because I, I have my dream job. I love what I do. And something I'm very proud of is since I've been in Alberta, I've been here just over five years, and my little company, Sporty Productions, has brought well over, like I, I was adding it up the other day, like well over $3 million worth of jobs and uh, for people in Alberta specifically uh, and industry, not including like what events and doing theatricals and doing stuff like that has helped. But that's something just my little one-man company has been able to contribute back to my local community and Alberta. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, the ESPN put out that 30 for 30 series that they thought was going to last, you know, whatever it was, just over a year, and, and they've kept it going. I mean, it's much more than 30 documentaries now. Uh, you're rolling with Ice Guardians and making Coco, and I know, I know you have other projects, but, you know, even though, you know, you got to keep selling these, and, and maybe to a modern audience there are some challenges in that, do you think sports documentaries, though, um, maybe remain... Or are, are the most attractive form of documentary these days because of that ability to take people behind the scenes, and maybe sports fans have more of a willingness to to look back on on an era that they remember fondly when when they were younger, when they were a kid. I, I definitely think there's something with sports docs that um, you know resonate with people, and here here's why I think they'll continue to be successful because. After ESPN did it, like, everybody's getting into it. Like, LeBron James has a company now, and he's doing content. The Rock has seven bucks, and he's getting into sports documentaries and content. And almost every major magazine now is getting online, and they're looking, like, from the Players' Tribune to everybody to doing video content rather than just um, magazine or article style. And the key thing that ESPN did and the great sports docs do, like Making Coco does, is that you don't have to be a hockey fan. To enjoy the film, it is a great personal story of Grant, of a you know a young adopted child growing up in Evanston or just out in Spruce Grove. You know he was a, a black kid with white parents, first black player in the Hall of Fame, first black player to win a Stanley Cup. You know, amazing individual on and off the ice, and that's what even people that have watched the Rough Cut now they're like, man, I don't even like hockey, and I really enjoyed that movie. Like, wow, like I had no idea that Grant was that guy, and that's I think. The, the, the sports fandom will bring the sports fans, which is good. You have a built-in audience so that your film can be profitable. But what gives sports stocks longer legs that you don't have to be a sports fan of the specific sport or any sport at all to understand the human journey and appreciate that. And that's great storytelling. Yeah, well, and, and you do a great job with it, Adam. And, and you have a great story yourself. So thanks for uh, sharing your work. And uh, so September 11th, Making Coco's in Toronto, September 29th in Calgary. You teased something in October in Edmonton, so I have a feeling we'll be having you on the show again uh, <laughs> in the very near future. Sound fair? Yeah, that's uh, of course. I'll come in anytime. But we're, we plan on doing something really special at Edmonton. I just don't want to say anything and then it falls through, but plan to do some really special grants going to come back in town many people from you see in the all-star lineup in the documentary i mean it really is like hockey royalty came for this doc because everyone we called like that's how great of a person grant is off the ice everybody i've never had such an easy casting list 
that everybody we called was like, absolutely, for, for Purzy, no problem. And then it helped when they were like, well, who's the production team behind it? They're like, the Ice Guardians guys? No problem. Between those two things and then Don Metz directing, it was like literally everybody said, yes, we had to cut it off. We're like, look, we can't do 500 interviews, right? We can only have like 40, right? We, we could do a series if, if we wanted to. So it was um, it's just been an absolute gem working with uh, Grant. He's a sweetheart of a man, just a tremendous guy on and off the ice. As Gret says in the film, you couldn't meet a nicer guy. So uh, it's been a dream come true for me, and I just hope I can continue to tell great stories like this. Adam, you're the best. All the best with Making Coco. Have a great evening, man. Thank you very much for having me on. Adam Scorgi, producer of Making Coco. Now, if you want to see the trailer, uh, my Twitter qu- account is at uh, Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. I've uh, retweeted Adam's Twitter account. His name is Adam Scorgi, so his Twitter account is Adam Score and then the letter G. So, uh, Adam S-C-O-R-E. G and uh, you'll enjoy the trailer and I'll make you look forward to this movie coming out. Great to have uh, Adam on the show and he's right. There are so many great stories in sports that I think, uh, 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 as as he said, you, you don't have to be a sports fan to uh, to uh, to find appeal in some of these characters, some of these journeys that athletes have had. Great to have Adam on the show. Making Coco is the upcoming film. We're back after the break. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chan. So that'll be cool, making Coco documentary about Grant Fewer. You know who I'd like to see a documentary about? Jason Strudwick. That'd be incredible. Could call it Making 43. Wasn't that his number? You can text 630-630, the phone number 780-496-0063. i got to catch up on some texts here. Jeremy from Glendon. Always enjoy hearing from Jeremy. You know Jeremy lives inside the pierogi, right, Kellen? Have I ever mentioned that? Uh, a few May, times. He has a luxury apartment inside the giant pierogi in Glendon. I wonder if the inside of the pierogi is... Like cottage cheese, or if it's like Montreal smoked <laughs> yeah, meat. All this furniture is made out of cottage cheese. That's right. Maybe it's potato. <laughs> uh, Jeremy says the Eskimos don't have that fourth quarter shutdown factor that they used to. We used to expect that fourth quarter comeback, and now we're the ones getting our lead chipped away in the fourth. Games against BC and Hamilton should have been wins in years gone by. If the Eskimos can rediscover their killer instinct, they'll be in good shape going into the playoffs. I still don't understand why we didn't go all in during a great cup year. If I was the GM, would have kept Odell Willis, and I should have made a stab at getting another big name in the secondary. I'm disappointed we sold this offseason when we're hosting the Grey Cup unless Moss and company decided they had no chance to get past Calgary at the beginning of the year. Well, I don't think they thought they had no chance to get past Calgary. I think they knew Calgary was going to be very good again. Uh, uh, Good comments there. Clearly there's something missing in the way they're finishing games. There's also been something missing in the way they've started some of the games, but they've had some poor finishes. I, I mean, look, what, what do you say to, what, what's the old saying to have a good season or a great season? You, you, you got to win the ones you should and maybe a couple that you shouldn't. Well, right now it hasn't gone that way for the Eskimos. I, I, think they, I think they stole the first game of the year in Winnipeg, and I think they've had games stolen from them in Toronto, in Vancouver, and in Hamilton. So you're on the negative side of that ledger. Uh, are we breaking? Oh, I got a minute here. Bermuda Boy texting in. 
Always good to hear from him. He says, Reed, in reference to the Oilers and whether they will be markedly better than they were last year, it's unlikely, but they will be better. As I have noted that Connor McDavid was less than 100% at the start of the season when he had that extended flu bug, and that added to the team's slow start. When Connor was healthier, he was more effective, and so was the team. Uh, the Oilers have the world's best player. They have to be better. That is Bermuda Boy. Well, and I, and I guess when we're talking about better, I get it's the extent of how much better are they going to be. And, and I think the Oilers will be better. I do think they will be into the playoffs better. Do I think they are Stanley Cup contender, go deep into the playoffs better? No, I do not. I think they can get into the playoffs and be an underdog in the first round. That's how I look at it, looking way into the future. 9-4, Baltimore leading the Blue Jays. That is in the top of the seventh. In Baltimore, you can get more on the Oilers signing of Jason Garrison to a PTO on 630Ched.com. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630Ched. Well, really appreciate you tuning in tonight. It's 7.33. The Edmonton Eskimos will be back at practice tomorrow as they get set for Calgary on Monday, Labor Day. Kickoff's going to be at 1 at McMahon Stadium. We will start our coverage at 11.30 in the morning with Dave and Morley. We'll continue getting you ready for the game on Inside Sports the next three days. The Oilers inching closer to training camp. Jason Garrison added today on a professional tryout. We had him on in the first half hour of the show. Trivia about Jason Garrison. First ever NHLer to score a 3-on-3 overtime winner. October 8th, 2015. He scored the game winner playing for Tampa Bay against Philadelphia. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in. So if you drive south on 101st Street Southwest, you're going to be see something uh, really big. <laughs> really, really big. And to tell us more about that structure, I'm pleased to welcome Anthony Bent to the show. Anthony, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? How you doing, Reed? I'm doing great. Thanks for making time for me tonight. So you are the general manager of the Edmonton Soccer Dome, and that's the, the big structure I was talking about on 101st Street Southwest. Uh, give me a sense of the size of this facility. Well, when you stand next to it, it's like you uh, sit next to the moon. It's crashed into a field in uh, south of Ellison Road. It's absolutely enormous. It's uh, the, the biggest sports dome in Canada, and it's in the top 5% of domes in North America. All right. Tell me a little bit about getting this thing built. Uh, who sort of got the ball rolling here and, sa- and said we need this dome? Well, I think the city uh, realized they needed a, a, a bigger structure with the amount of kids and the growth of the city and uh, the, the, uh, the gymnasiums you have to play soccer in and, uh, and other field sports. It, the city grew enough that we need a, a massive full-size structure. So Peter Dolan and uh, Stuart Brown from the Edmonton Scottish Society they're the main leaders, the, the brainchild of, of these two wonderful people. And they had the idea about three years ago to uh, build a full-size uh, soccer field. Uh, so originally they started with a, a permanent structure. And that kind of evolved into a dome. It's a lot cheaper. It, it, you can move it. And uh, it, it, for, for playing a game of soccer or American football or baseball, it, it, it's a better facility because you haven't got the, the, the bars and the cross beams and the support. So it makes sense. 
and it's a lot cheaper, and it's 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 probably going to be a lot more domes coming up in Alberta. How mu- how much did it cost, and how did you wind up paying for it, Anthony? Well, they, they have a 22-acre site just south of Ellerslie Road, uh, which they acquired about 65 years ago. I think uh, Graham McEwen uh, either gave it or gave a very good deal to uh, the Scottish Society. And, of course, uh, 60 years ago, this was a swamp. There's nothing out here. It was miles away from the city. But I, as the city's grown and it's gone further and further, further, further south with Summerside and Allard and more towards the, uh, the airport, the land value has risen. They've uh, developed the whole site into five full-size outdoor soccer fields. And now, uh, with, uh, with help from the city, they've managed to put this amazing full-size dome on that facility. Okay. So tell me a little bit about the, the possibilities for usage inside the soccer dome. I mean, is this, is this a big field that, if needed, can be broken down into some smaller sections to get different uh, forms of the game out there? Yeah, I mean, it's called the Edmonton Soccer Dome, but it, it's really a multi-sport uh, facility. It, it's more of a throwaway name as we look for a, a bigger company to come in and, and name it, you know, like the, uh, the Adidas Dome or the 630 Chet Dome, whoever wants to put their money together to sponsor this and put some naming rights. But the, the it supports three different game formats for soccer, 77 field, 99 fields, and then the 11 v 11 field. So the most cost-effective way of running it and bring in as many people as we can would be to have a 77 field, and then there's four of them divided up inside the dome. Okay, so you can so you can get a lot of people out there at a time. And you said uh, multi-sports, so could, I mean, I don't know, could you play baseball? Could you play some flag football? Like, can you do other stuff like that? Yeah, we spoke to uh, some softball people, baseball people, um, uh, rugby teams, um there's even a Quidditch league that I didn't oh, even know geez. about. They're looking about coming in. So I didn't buy it to Google it. I didn't really believe the guy when he told me, but it's true. There's grown men in this city playing Quidditch. So, but for the, the main sports, uh, even like lacrosse, um, uh, volleyball as well, we can put temporary uh, flooring in for volleyball. So it's such a big space that we really can use it for any sport. Anthony Bent joining us on Inside Sports. He's the general manager of the Edmonton Soccer Dome. Now, is this up to the Edmonton Scottish Society to, to look after it and maintain it? Yes. It's, uh, it's on their land. It's, uh, they, they hired me a year ago as this project came closer to uh, fruition. And now we've, we've got the dome up. The turf is in right now. And we're, we're literally weeks away. Uh, so there'll be a few job opportunities coming up for uh, staffing and a bit of bar staff and that. Uh, but this is phase one of a three-phase project. Uh, the second phase would be a brand new city with um, 12 dressing rooms and a bar and a little cafe area and then some sports science rooms. So uh, this, this is the first phase, and hopefully next year we break ground on the second phase and create a real world-class facility. Anthony, can you tell me a little bit about... Um, like a, I'll, I'll use this for lack of a better term, about assembling the soccer dome? I mean, I understand it kind of arrived in, in Edmonton in, in pieces on a bunch of different trucks, or how did that work? Yeah, it came, it came from... Uh, we, we bought it from an American company. The, the, the Canadian dome manufacturers didn't want to build a dome this big or couldn't build a dome this big. So at the time we, we had the idea that the dollar was a lot more favorable. So uh, It came up from uh, south coast of America, and I think it was on... 15 trucks, and then we pieced it all together up here. Uh, they came and the dome itself came in 10 pieces. They bolted that together, and then um, they, they inflated it. It's literally a, a big blanket, and you put air in it, 
and it's supported by um, ropes. It's, it's impressive. And when the guy told me they're about to inflate, and then two hours later, there was an enormous structure just, uh, <laughs> just south of Ellerslie. Okay, it, it, is there like are there some is there some grand are there some grandstands there? What do you have for for spectators? For, for right now, there isn't. Uh, we we hope to have um, spectator section inside. We're still working on that. Okay. Okay, good stuff. And uh, all right, so when is it going to be open and people can check it out or go see some games or whatever? We we're two weeks away from two weeks ish away from completion. By October first, we will be up and running with all the permits and occupancy, and hopefully everything ready to go. Okay. Well, Anthony, thanks for for letting us in on this. And as you mentioned, people are are going to be driving by it and probably thinking, "Hey, wait a minute, that big." big uh, blanket like you put it what was was it there before and i also love that your website is really easy to remember if people want to check it out edmontonsoccerdome.com so hopefully you get a few extra hits tonight so people can uh, doesn't get easy that yeah i i, I, I like ceremony. that the opening ceremony we're gonna have a media game against some 12 year olds so uh let me know your shirt size and your number and we'll get you a game. <laughs> sounds good anthony thanks for coming on the show uh, all the best we'll have to keep in touch and three cheers mate Right on. That is Anthony Bent uh, on there on Inside Sports tonight. Uh, it's on the Edmonton Scottish Society grounds. The actual address, if uh, you want to check out the Edmonton Soccer Dome, thirty-one oh five, one hundred and first Street Southwest. So it's uh, south of the Meridian Avenue. Uh, so you got to keep going south. Thirty-one oh five, one hundred and first Street Southwest. Pretty cool structure. Pretty cool structure and uh, opens in a couple weeks and definitely uh, needed in our city, which keeps growing. And as he said, uh, soccer, but other organizations, rugby, softball, baseball, getting in touch with him. And we might have to do a segment on this, Kellen. He said there's even a Quidditch league in Edmonton. Is that not the sport from Harry Potter? That's the sport from Harry Potter, yeah. Uh, Never read the books. I think I watched three or four of the movies. I didn't finish the series. But don't you have to fly to play Quidditch? Uh, well, I think these people are flying along the ground with their brooms. Are you on the website right now? Uh, I'm on the Soccer Dome website Oh, you're on right the now. Soccer Dome website. That is an impressive facility. Okay. I like the lighting. It looks amazing. And I'm sorry, somebody texted in a question for Anthony, and I didn't see it too late, uh, how many spectators it can hold. But as he said, they don't have uh, the grandstands yet, but they want to get those. And uh, you can go to edmontonsoccerdome.com and check out more. That's pretty cool. 9-4, the Blue Jays trailing Baltimore. Top of the 8th, it may be Tuesday evening, but we'll give you the Tuesday morning quarterback when we get back. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Hope you're having a wonderful evening. So Jason Garrison joining the Oilers gets a PTO. He was with the Vegas Golden Knights last season, but spent the majority of the year in the AHL with the Chicago Wolves. He played four games in October. He was put on waivers late in October, cleared, was sent to the Chicago Wolves, was back in the NHL late January, early February for four more NHL games. Eight games with the Golden Knights. He had one assist. 
So a free agent most of the summer. The Oilers give him a PTO. We had him on earlier, and as he said, he will be in Edmonton next week getting ready for training camp. Mike Riley and the Eskimos getting ready for Calgary on Monday. And uh, here's another entertaining edition of Mike Riley, the Tuesday morning quarterback. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Tuesday morning quarterback. As always, I'm here hanging out with you guys on the air, but this show is going to be a little different. I brought Morley with me. We're going to be answering some of your questions that you sent in on Twitter. Haven't really taken a look at them because I wanted to be surprised and give an authentic answer. So I'm going to bring Morley in and he's going to, he's going to rapid fire away and we'll see what you guys had to ask. Nice to be not just holding the microphone on the Tuesday morning <laughs> quarterback for a change. Uh, all right, Mike, we're going to start with this one. This one comes from a Twitter account called the Edmonton Eskimos. And it is verified, so it's the okay, real thing. Okay, it's got the blue check. Okay. Uh, hey, Mike, big fan. Are you a, more of a fan of Morley or Dave? Oh, hmm. well, first of all, I'm, I'm very glad, interested in the answer. Glad to hear that the uh, Edmonton Eskimos Twitter account is a big fan of mine. I, yeah. I'd certainly appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I don't really have anything bad to say about either Morley or Dave, but I got to tell you, uh, I spend a lot more time with Morley. You know, we're always doing the the pregame show sitting in the Kubota um, and Dave is usually a stats guy so mm-hmm. after a big win um, you know it's never too bad to hear about how our offense did but uh, at the same time um, you know my connection with Morley is much closer so go. I gotta go with Morley sorry about that Dave but I do love you Dave I do <laughs> all right <laughs> now if Dave was asking those questions to me right now my yeah, answer sure may be a little different, different so, you know, right? yeah, might be. Sure. Uh, all right this one comes from uh, Jesse Thomas how many times is the little one getting you up in the night, and how do you and your wife decide who's mm. getting up with her? That's a great question, Jesse. Also, uh, my wife is in studio listening, so I can't lie like I would want to. You have to have the um, right answer. Yeah, well, the answer, the truthful answer is I don't know. I don't know how many times she gets up at night because I don't get up with her right now. <laughs> we are we are in season, and my wife, thankfully, uh, bless her, is... Uh, Hugely understanding of football, and so uh, even though we got a couple of days off right now, she's uh, she's taking over the the baby duties in the middle of the night, and I'm a pretty heavy sleeper, so that will quickly change in December, and sure. uh, I will become the one that gets catching up, up to do so, come yeah, December. Um, hey, all right, uh, this from Vance in L.A. What? with all the CFL quarterbacks having daughters. Uh, too many to list. Does the CFL need a rule change to address this or just cancel the draft in 2036? <laughs> well, by 2036, I assume that women are going to be taking over most of our league. You know, I, I plan on uh, my daughters will probably have pretty good arms and, and I'm sure they'll be a lot smarter than me. So, um, you know, that's a good question. There is a ton of uh, quarterbacks that have daughters. I think it's pretty well documented. I, I think Trevor Harris is the only starter that I know of in the league that has a boy. So, um, you know, if I'm going to be in company with some of those guys like uh, Ricky Ray and Travis Lula and things like that, I guess I'll take that for sure. All right. How did you and Emily meet? Me and Emily actually that, grew by up. by the way, is from uh, Laurel. Okay, Laurel. Me and Emily grew up in the same city. Um, you know, we actually went to different high schools. Uh, I actually talked to Kevin Glenn about this earlier. I have Kevin Glenn to thank for this, uh, for my marriage to my wife, because when I was in BC, we were playing against Calgary in the West Final. We were the one seed in 2012, and Kevin was starting for Calgary, and he came in and upset us. And I was planning on obviously going to the Grey Cup. We'd won it the year before. And I had time off, so I didn't think I was going to be able to go back home for Thanksgiving break. Um, But I did because our season was done. And Emily was living in New York at the time. And she came back to the same hometown that we grew up in to surprise her parents for Thanksgiving. And went out with a couple of my buddies to have a a few drinks and uh, ended up at the same bar as her. And we hit it off. And 
couple of weeks later, I was headed to New York to visit, and uh, the rest is history. Rest so is thank history you, Kevin indeed. Glenn. All right, great stuff. Uh, Tom Wu, uh, what are your plans after your football career is over? Oh, Tom, that's a great question. Hopefully that's uh, not for many years down the line, but um, I don't know. I've thought about it. I'd like to stick around somewhere in football, whether it's coaching. Uh, who knows? Maybe I'll get into the media side of things. Uh, you know, I'll take some tips from Morley and Dave, but, um, you know, I've spent pretty much my entire life doing football. You know, I started playing when I was like five or six years old, um, you know, and I, I feel like it would be a huge waste to let uh, the knowledge that I've gained from all the people that I've worked with just uh, sit idle. So I'd probably like to pass that on in some capacity, like I said, whether it's interacting with the fans through the media or trying to teach the next generation of players through coaching. Not all the questions we got are serious ones. This one from uh, Joel Brooks. How many hot dogs can you eat in one sitting? <laughs> uh, that's a great question as well. I mean, it depends on what time of, time of year it is. If it's, uh, you know, Canada Day or Fourth of July holidays, probably a little more than. Uh, um, but generally, the only time I eat hot dogs is when I'm at Costco. You know, yeah. it's like a dollar oh, fifty they're good, eh? for a hot dog and yeah. a drink. Yeah, I, you can't beat that. And they got you know they got the mustard, they got the ketchup, they got the relish and onions and all that sort of stuff. So I only need one of those to fill and me up. And you can uh, taste it for three days after. That's right, you can. Yeah, you uh, you know you're driving home. Uh, you, you know you got to have some times because you burp. You're like, wow, that's uh, that's the hot dog I ate two days ago. Uh, all right, last question for this time around as we take Twitter questions for Mike here on uh, the Tuesday morning quarterback. This comes from a. Uh, Twitter account, which is uh, called Mike Riley's Hat. Mm, okay, my hat. Uh, you've, uh, you've probably heard of it yes, before. Yes. Uh, what is your favorite hat you ever had through our entire life? <laughs> not just when you were an adult, but when you were a kid as well. See, that's what's great is I think that account is not just a singular hat. Apparently, it's all of my yes. hats. So uh, it's hard to pick. It really is hard to pick. When I was a kid, uh, I played baseball. So I had a lot of baseball hats that I felt were lucky hats and things like that. You know, I got a couple that haven't come out yet that uh, mm. I'm pretty excited about. The Labor Day game is going to be a good one. Nice. Uh, but, uh, I mean, the one that I wore for the MOP ceremony for sure is the biggest. My vote. Yeah, I think that, that's, that's my top one. How many sure. rabbits were in that hat? Uh, there were six of them, actually. I counted them, yes. <laughs> comfortably six. Yes, uh, we had room for at least four or five more. So, uh, yeah. Did you, did you, when you were a kid, I don't know, bike helmets weren't a thing when I was a kid. I was no. so old. But no. uh, did you wear your baseball head backwards riding your bike so it doesn't fly off? No. So, you know, a lot of guys, I, I played catcher when I was playing in, in so, you know, baseball. So a lot of guys would wear their baseball hat underneath their catcher's hat and they'd wear it backwards. But my dad... Uh, was super old school and it was like if you have a baseball hat that thing is getting more frontwards and that's the only way to wear it uh, so I, I wouldn't be caught around my house or anywhere else in public wearing a hat backwards and my dad would have wrung my neck but I'm bigger than him now so I can wear it backwards your dad needs to have a talk with Mike Benavides <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I'm sure he'll he'll get him going but uh, thank you everybody for joining us on this week's version of the Tuesday morning quarterback and uh, great questions really appreciate you guys sending those in uh, we'll have to do this again but uh, we'll be on the air next week Tuesday morning, you can catch me on 6.30, Chad. There he is, your quarterback, Mike Riley. Well, I think if he wants to go into broadcasting when he's done playing, whenever that is, he'll have the opportunity. Always a pleasure to listen to Mike. Very good communicating with the fans, having some fun with the Twitter questions that were sent in to he and Morley for this week's Tuesday morning quarterback. And yes, Kellen, I don't know if you've seen it. Mm. Mike Riley's hat is a Twitter account. Cool. I don't know who runs it. I'm actually not following it. Uh, but Mike Riley, known for wearing some sort of a dressy hat mm-hmm. to road games, and the one he wore to the award ceremony last year, incredible. Yeah, that was next level. That was that was a next level hat when he won Most Outstanding Player. So uh, Mike Riley's hat. 
is indeed a Twitter account. Uh, only 136 followers. Oh, we got to pump that number up a bit. At least <laughs> oh, 137 what, by the end of the show. What do we gain? We don't gain anything. What's in it for us, Kellen Kennedy? Uh, anyway, pretty entertaining <laughs> stuff. You can text 630-630, the phone number is 780-496-0063. Riley and the Eskimos back at practice tomorrow. Jason Garrison on the show earlier signs a professional tryout contract with the Oilers. I asked him what he would hope to add to the team. No, I think um, in all my career I've been a two-way player, um, you know, obviously focusing on defense and, and, you know, trying to keep the puck out of out of our net, but also contributing offensively. Um, and just you know, you know, playing with playing with a lot of skilled offensive players. You know, I think those are the times that you want to, you know, you want to get them to puck and support them as much as possible, and you know, support them whether they have the puck or if they make a mistake with the puck. And obviously, this team has a ton of offensive talent. So, you know, I think you know, in my mind, it's you know, you want to you want to break the puck out as clean as possible, get it on their stick, and and follow up the play. Um, you know, I think the less obviously the less time you play in your own end is, is better for everybody on your team. All right, Jason Garrison, who joins the Edmonton Oilers on a PTO. Look, uh, I, I think the reality is it's going to be hard pressed for him to make the team. Uh, you know, he's not what he used to be as a defenseman, but somebody who can play in the preseason. And Bob and I talked about it earlier. Maybe he gets a chance to uh, be on the point on the power play, and I, I think if he does make the orders, it would be in a very specialized role, uh, but but maybe there is something there. He did he did have some uh, pretty good offensive instincts in his prime. He had uh, three seasons of 30 or more points, which, you know, isn't, isn't elite, but it's decent in the NHL, so uh, he's the new guy. He's the new guy for the time being, so he's going to be on a PTO. Uh, I think he's a longer shot to make the team up front. Scotty Upshaw joining the Oilers on a PTO. I think he's a pretty good met to make the team. Bottom of the eighth in Baltimore, the lowly Orioles leading the Blue Jays 10-4. It'll be interesting to see with what happens with uh, Josh Donaldson this week. Oh, and Jose Bautista, the former Blue Jay, going from the Mets to uh, Philadelphia. So he changes teams yet again. Hey, thanks for tuning in tonight. You heard from Anthony Bett from the Edmonton Soccer Dome, filmmaker Adam Scorgi, producer of Making Coco, the upcoming movie about Grant Fuhrer. Bob Stoffer joined us, as did Jason Garrison and Eskimo Center Justin Sorensen. U of A Golden Bears football coach Chris Morris will be one of our guests tomorrow. Thanks to Dave Campbell, the producer of the show. Thanks to Kellen Kennedy, the studio producer. Thanks to everybody who texted in. And, of course, I always appreciate that you tuned in tonight. I look forward to speaking with you tomorrow. My name is Reed Wilkins. Have a great night. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.